many people wait to get it just right. You know what? You may never get it just right. Don't wait. Start. Plug into the minds of the world's cutting-edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders who are rewriting the rules of sales and success. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Mark Campbell, and this is the Selling with Love podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the Selling with Love podcast. I'm so excited to have a good friend, a returning guest to the show, where we're actually going to go through the history and a bit of the journey on how they've become one of the best therapists, hypnotherapists in the world, the pioneer of the RTT method, the one and only Marissa Peer. And the last time we had her on the show, we really spoke specifically about sales blocks and what are the some reasons people actually have a lot of triggers and traumas when it comes to selling. But we wanted to go a little more expanded and understand the journey it takes to be someone who's a therapist and building the movement, the empire, the number of trained RTT therapists around the world who are having success with our method. There's a story that I want to unpack from the journey that she went on to build it to the level that it is now. I want to speak about it. I want to hear about it. There's some blocks and struggles along the way and some massive success on where she is now. And I'm ready to unpack that. Marissa, welcome back to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me back. I'm really thrilled to be here. I love seeing what's happening with your business, your ecosystem. You've built an empire and it's all related towards healing. It's helping people get through their traumas and using your method. And I don't even have a specific timeline. Like you've been in this field for a few years now. And, you know, right now I see you as someone that's not just a therapist, but you're like the entrepreneur and an online personality. And I wanted to know if there was like a period in your career where you said, well, just being a therapist is not enough. I need to really take this as a business now. Yeah, I became a therapist in 1984. So that's like amazing. That's nearly 40 years ago. It doesn't even seem possible. And I loved it. And to this day, I love it. And I was very happy being a therapist. I had really successful clients and I had great success with clients. And it's a great job because as a therapist, if you're good and you get results, you have meaning, purpose, growth, contribution, you make a difference. What happened to me is people would ring me up and go, hey, you know, I saw you. Oh, my God, you changed my life in one session, in two sessions. And I just want to see someone like you in Alabama, in Atlanta, in Sydney, in New Zealand. And there was only one of me. And I would always say, sorry, you know, there's only me. But I got more and more people asking me. Then I began to work with therapists. They would you train me in your method? Like, I'm a therapist, but I don't get these results like you do. And I think, mm, could I train you my method? And the answer was always no. You know, it's such a big thing to train people. But as long with being a therapist, I'd written several books. I had a couple of television shows I was on. I was a speaker. It was Wayne Dyer who said something to me. He said, do not die with your music still playing inside. And I thought, you know, Wayne is so right. This is like a legacy. My own teacher, the wonderful Gil Boyne, died just before I got married And as wonderful as he was and as amazing as he was, because he does have video footage, but his therapy didn't die with him, but it sort of became much less. And that happens with quite a few people. And I thought, you know, Wayne is right. This is my legacy. This is my gift. If you're given a gift, you do have an obligation to share it. And I went from being like, hmm, this is my method. I created it all myself. Why would I share that to, of course, I must share it. I was given it to share 
But the real turning point was my husband, who is a genius marketer, who said to me, look, darling, you need to put on a school and train people. I'm like, oh, just the thought of that. I already have, you know, a child, a home, a business. I write, I speak, I see clients. I mean, it just seemed like work. And my husband was so amazing. He said, I'll do everything. He said, I will do the marketing. I will find the venue. You just turn up. And I thought, okay, I can just. I said, well, let's just do one. But on one school, and it was in December 2015, we'll see what happens. We put on one. People came from all over the world, from Guam, from New Zealand, from Vancouver, from Australia. We're like, wow. And at the time, it was a week's training, a three-week break, and another week's training. And they stayed. Some of them actually went back to Vancouver, then came back again. And they all said, this is amazing. And that first school in 2015, 80% of the people who attended are still practicing RTT very successfully. We did one. It was like, let's just test it out. And they all said it was incredible. And now I look back, we didn't even really have a curriculum. You know, I'd been in Costa Rica speaking for mine. I literally flew back. And I was just, each day I thought, you know, I don't need a curriculum. I just need to have each day's school ready the day before. Because actually, when I was on the way back, I went into anaphylactic shock. I got really sick, but it didn't matter. The school was amazing. And so after doing one, I think we did five more the next year and then seven more. And since then, we've taken our live training to Sydney, to Melbourne, to New York, Miami, Los Angeles, Vancouver, Berlin, Amsterdam, of course, all over the UK. And now here we are just about to bring it to Dubai and we've trained almost 17,000 therapists, which is a lot. And most of them are having extraordinary success. And some of them, again, I'm a therapist. And others are saying, you know, I too, I'm writing books, I'm speaking. I've got this group going. And some of them have got their own radio show. One of them had a whole television program made by the BBC about her success with infertile women. But I really have to thank John. Because he, of course, ran comedy clubs. He said, I know what to do with talent. He said, I've had 22 comedy clubs. He had the UK equivalent of the comedy club. And he said, I know what to do with talent. You show up. I'll do everything. And true to his word, he worked so much harder than me. I showed up with a curriculum, but he did everything. And he still does. He's amazing. He works so hard behind the scenes. It's a partnership that needs to be successful so you could be supported to get everything done. And I think it's very underestimated when you are the talent, the artist, the creator, is you need to be in that state to create and to deliver. And, you know, I've seen you do your method and then you have to always be creating. I mean, that's where you bring the most value. But you said something during your first workshop that I think is worth kind of putting a lens on here is that you went ahead and did your first school project and you built the curriculum as you were teaching the school. And I think that there's a lot of blocks that come from having, oh my God, I need my perfect curriculum to be created before I even think about putting myself out there and teaching. And so a couple of things I want to ask here is like, what's kind of the necessary work that you need to have done before you plan the curriculum? And at what point do you just go, you know what, I'm going to put it out there? Yeah, so for me, we decided to put on the school. I think we started to get it together in the summer. And then two things happened. I don't talk about it a lot. I got cancer in September. My school was starting in November. And then I went, John took me away to recover and I went into anaphylactic shock. So I just never really had the time to sit down and write the whole perspective. And I thought, you know what? Does that matter? All I need to do is each day plan the next day because... 
In RTT, we teach people to niche. So we might have a day on infertility, a day on corporate burnout, a day on childhood problems, a day on weight issues, a day on addictions and phobias. So it's very much structured that, look, we're going to teach you all these specialist areas. We might have a day on fears and phobias. So all I really had to do was to have each day planned out. Of course, I didn't actually realize that on the first the night before I could sit down and go, okay, today we're going to do all of this. But of course, as it went on, each day was so busy, so successful. I think, oh my God, I've got to come home and plan tomorrow. But luckily it was very much my method. And I learned my method from 30 years of working with clients who'd say things like, you know, Marissa, that one thing you did, that was a game changer. Or someone else, you know, that one thing you said or made me do, that just changed my life. And so I'd collated the one thing. And of course, it's a bit like, you know, Tony Robbins. Tony is talking about what he does, and you don't really need to write that all down and plan it out because it's like a dancer, you know, you know your steps. I've done this for many years, and RTT is a formula, and it works, you know, in a particular format. So we train our therapists that first you become an investigator. An investigator gathers information, a good detective goes, well, what happened over here? And let's stick these pictures on one. Let's look at the scene and gather information. And so we always wear five hats. The first hat, become a good detective. Never say what's wrong with you. Say what happened to you. So you began to stutter at 11. You gained 50 pounds at 12. You became phobic about going out at nine must be something happened. So the first thing is you gather information and then you go from being an investigator to an interpreter. You begin to interpret with the client what happened, how did that affect you? Because it isn't just what happens, it affects each person differently. And then you become an interrupter and you interrupt massively the brain's patterns, the client's belief. And then finally you become a coder and you install a whole new system. It's doing it all together. Many therapists will spend a long time finding out what happened, and some do other work, just try and change the behavior. But when you do it all together, it's immensely successful. So although I didn't have a whole curriculum written out and a whole brochure, which of course we have now, it was immensely successful. And then of course my sister came on board, who's a genius at creating curriculum, and she actually put it all together, made it super professional, and it's been amazing, but sometimes you just have to take a leap of faith. It's a bit like someone who says, I'm going to write a book. Writing a book is like drawing a picture. If you're drawing a picture, you often think, I do like to make a little house there. Then I put a tree over there. Then I'll do a gate. And if you're writing a book, you can start in the middle. I'm going to start with chapter nine because I know I'm going to start with chapter seven. You don't have to start with chapter one, finish with chapter 10 and then do the indexing, you can start anywhere. It's like a painting. It doesn't matter. If you just start, it will fill itself in the best books, the best paintings. Some people say, you know, I had one line of a song, like that guy from where he was watching his wife cook dinner, and he just got the one line, love is all around, it's everywhere I go. And then he created the whole song from one line, one thought, and that happens a lot. So I think many people wait to get it just right. You know what? You may never get it just right. Don't wait. Start. You know, we're waiting for motivation, waiting for perfection. Motivation comes when you take action. And the only way to be perfect 
is to begin it. When you begin it, Goethe said that, when you begin it, it has genius and magic in it, but you must begin it now. And that's so true. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, I do want to tip my hat and respect the fact that, you know, you perfected that craft over 30 years. And I think that really gets you to a level of mastery that sometimes I feel gets overlooked. I think that there is some work to be done before you go out there and build the curriculum because you've spoken to individuals, you work with them one-on-one, you were able to get the feedback and then that became quite natural. But still, your RTT method is actually quite new in the field of psychology. And, you know, from most of what I've witnessed for anybody bringing something that is new into a field that seems to have a lot of systems and progresses and their own ecosystem, there's a lot of resistance when something comes in and is new, innovative, and maybe hasn't followed the same steps as anything else that they've done. So I'd be curious to know about, you know, what are some of the resistances that you have faced either from different fields when you introduce RTT, you had the results, did you just work with it, work against it, just say, I'm going to deal with it. I'm just curious about that. Yeah, you know, first of all, I called it the Marissa Peer Method. My first school was called Marissa Peer Method, MPM. But then I thought, you know what? I don't think people want to say, hey, I've got the Marissa Peer Method. I'm a version of Marissa Peer. I didn't like that. I thought, let's give it a name like Rapid Transformational Therapy. So they're not saying I'm a version of Marissa Peer. Because some of the people I've trained are every bit as good as me. Some of them are better because, of course, they're young, they're passionate. Of course, I'm going to train people who end up being better than me. I fully expect that. It's already happened. But what I had was people saying, how dare you put the word rapid in front of therapists? Who do you think you are? Don't you know that therapy is long and arduous and we've got to build a relationship and it takes years and then when we've got trust maybe something will happen. And I was always perplexed by the fact that every healing modality says, bring me your pain and I'm going to help you. So ER, doctor, dentist, chiropractor will say the same, turn up with your pain and I will do my very best to remove your pain. So every healing therapy says that except for therapy, which is bring me your pain. We've got to get to know each other. We've got to go on a long journey together. And I thought, well, why has healing therapy got to take longer than every other healing. Surely someone is in pain. Shouldn't the therapist say, this is no different to going to the emergency room? And that pain may be, I have stress migraines, I have irritable bowel, I have an ulcer, I have stomach issues, I have a skin condition caused by stress. But it also could be, you know, I have the pain of, I can't find love. I'm self-sabotaging. I keep procrastinating. I'm ruining my business. And so that's also painful. We have, you know, pain that's organic, but actually a lot of doctors are now saying that most people turning up at the doctors have illness caused not by diseased organs, but by diseased thinking. Then we have the pain of not succeeding, not having love, not having success. And I always thought, you know what? I want to offer people the same pain relief as any other person who's doing healing. And so I did get a lot of flack for that, especially from some therapists, not all, who'd say, I don't know who you think you are turning up and offering rapid therapy. But I knew who I was, and I knew it worked. And I had so much feedback from clients. And the thing I heard every day was, you changed my life. The thing I heard the most was, I've been in therapy for 10 years, and how did you fix me in an hour? How did you identify that? 
And that's what I've taught all my therapists. We we talk about the three things wrong with all of our clients. There is really only three. The three ways the mind works, the four ways we must act in order to get connection, and the 23 rules of the mind. And so I'm really teaching people a fast track of what makes therapy tick. And even doctors have said to me, and psychiatrists too, I learned so much from hearing you speak about I'm not enough. So I had to go out on a limb. And yes, I did get some flack. I got some rude comments some people saying, oh, this is all woo-woo. In fact, I read something once and it said that Marissa Peer, I thought it said was a grafter, which and it actually said she's a grifter, but I read grafter, which is a hard worker. But you know, <laughs> first they hate you, then they understand you, then they join you. The guy who found out what Septicemia was all about was actually ridiculed by the medical profession. The guy who wrote Sugar Blues was absolutely ridiculed. It's no sugar doesn't make you fat, it's fat. So we have a lot of pioneers who come up with something. People say, that's crazy, you're crazy. And you have to have the strength to say, you know what? I know what I'm doing is amazing. I get so much feedback from clients. And when somebody wrote to me once and said, I don't know what carnage you think you're creating, doing rapid therapy, it's disgusting. Don't you know therapy is a world of pain? that you try to crawl out every day with very, so I've been a therapist for 30 years, I'm still in pain. So I wrote back a very nice letter saying, well, I'm sorry you think I create carnage, but this morning I got this letter from someone saying, I've been fantasizing about killing myself, but I was just scared that I jump out of my window and I, I would survive and I didn't want to survive. And then I heard you talk about I'm enough and I don't know what you did, but within four days, that's all gone away, and I'm actually feeling happy. So I sent it to him, and he went, so what? As one person, I'm like, oh, how many do you need? If you one person doesn't kill themselves because of a skill you have in your whole career, I would have thought that was enough. As it happens, I've got a lot of those letters. I get letters from kids of 17 saying, you know, you changed my life, or women who said I left an abusive marriage because I listened to your message. But I thought that was so... Interesting that when I sent him this one, I said that just came in today, he was so annoyed and went, that's just one. I'm like, well, you're a therapist. Surely you know that one is enough. But then, of course, you have to learn. You can't convince someone it's not your job to make other people like you. It's your job to make me like me. The most important words we'll ever hear are the words we say to ourselves. I can put my hand on my heart and go, I'm a good therapist. I've done some amazing work in the world. I do have a skill. I do help people change their lives. Not everybody likes it. I know it works. And the most important opinion is not that guy who wrote to me saying this is disgusting. It's my opinion. Can I look in the mirror and say I'm doing good work? Yes, I can. And I do. And, you know, I've won a lot of awards. My therapy's won a lot of awards. We recently got an award for the most innovative thing in education. That's probably the best award I've ever had. But my own therapists are also getting awards and getting press. You know, I used to get letters every day from clients saying, oh my God, you changed my life. But now I get letters, texts, and emails from my therapist saying, look at the letter I got, look at the flower, look at this break that I had with this kid. And it's such a lovely thing to put something in the world that helps people. And of course, some people think I shouldn't do it. But you know what? I don't care. And of course, also, you know, when I started as a therapist, all therapists were men. 
Freud, Sigmund Freud, Ericksonian, they were all men. There were very few women saying, hey, I've got something. And, you know, somebody said to me once, well, who are you to say this? I'm like, well, someone's got to. Why shouldn't it be me? Someone's got to say, you know, the education system isn't great for some children. Someone's got to say, you know, the media is making young girls sick. Someone has to put their hand up and say, by the way, we are disconnecting whole swathes of teenagers and we're born needing connection. It's our biggest driver, find connection, avoid rejection. And we're disconnecting people. And and what's going to happen to their mental health? Nothing good. Well, I'm so glad that you decided to push forward, even though there is going to be that level of hate that happens regardless of what you do. But it does stop a lot of people. Uh, But in your case, you've actually helped a lot of people when you think about how you've turned around and said, well, if I can give these tools to other therapists and they've had some success. But, you know, your method was quite a unique skill. I was so excited to hear you talk about how you go as Marissa Peer and you're like, I have some of my students that are better than me. But I know that when you create a method, it's your baby and letting go of control. You have other people that are using your tools, using your name, and you can't necessarily control the level of quality that you do. So how did you move past that, get to understand the greater good? And were there certain things that you did to ensure that, okay, this is not going to be used irresponsibly? Yes. You know, obviously, we're very careful who we take on. There have been three times when I've given somebody a refund and said, look, I'm just going to let you leave my class. You cannot be a therapist. You just don't really get it. And so we've done that. We've refunded people, of course. And, you know, it, it is a challenge because I've created a formula and it's like saying, hey, I've got a recipe. So, for instance, my favorite Jamie Oliver recipe is take a chicken, take coconut milk, take coriander, put some lemons inside the chicken and do all of this. And it will come out pretty much like Jamie Oliver's. I like it. But if you say, well, I'm going to mess about, I'm going to not have chicken, I'm going to have duck. I don't want coconut milk. I'm going to cook it in orange juice. I don't like going to put sage instead. And I'm going to cook it for more time. And then it comes out and you go, oh, this is not great. Because when you have a formula, we do have to say, look, please don't mess with it. Don't start adding stuff. And sometimes that happens with, you know, we train therapists, doctors, nurses, but we also train people who have been police officers, fire officers. We trained a lot of pilots. And the therapists, we have to occasionally say, look, you know, this is not psychotherapy. You have to not wander back to, and how does that make you feel? And let's just sit with a feeling. So there's always going to be someone who says, I'm going to add stuff to it. I'm going to add in something, take away something. Luckily, when you train with me, when the training ends, there is ongoing therapy forever. You come on every month and have various masterclasses with me, with marketing experts, with other experts, like, for instance, Mark Hyman. And so we do keep an eye on it. And People will write in and say, you know, can I combine it? And we're like, no, you can combine it if you're a dietitian and nutrition. Of course, you can give advice, but you can't combine it with tapping, for instance. Tapping's fine, but we really encourage people not to do that. And of course, occasionally I'll look at one of my therapists and think, oh, that's not quite what I would say. That's not quite what I would do. But I've also had therapists who I thought, wow oh, what they're doing is even better, and I've added that in. So one of the things of our TT is having a client go back to some scenes and then say out loud, that's not me. 
And one of my students said, you know, I make them say that's not me anymore because I went, oh, that's so much better. So I added that in, but of course I credited her because she took something I created, but actually added something to it. So if a client says, you know, I eat cake because my mum made me cake and I was loved through cake and my mum was busy, but every weekend she'd make a cake and that's how I felt her love. We'd have them say, that's not me. I don't need cake to feel love, but she had them say, that's not me anymore because, which was better. So for every person I've trained who might be diluting it and straying back into all of this long visualizations, we have others who are really actually making it even better than it was. And my teacher said to me, you know, you've made hypnosis something better than it ever was, the way you've shaped it and molded it is genius. I didn't say that, he did. But I can see people I've trained also shaping and molding, making it even better. And you have to accept that, that when you create a method and train it, someone's going to do it even better than you. Whatever you're teaching, whether you're teaching yoga or Pilates or book writing or dog training or child rearing or IT, somebody will do it better than you. And that's a good thing. You have to really not be jealous. You know, I was actually at Mind Valley last year and there's a girl called Caitlin. And, and I said to Vision, you've got to put this girl on stage She's so good. And I know that Caitlin is younger than me, young, beautiful, talented. And I know that in a few years, she'll be amazing. But you have to not think, oh, I'm jealous. She's so good. You have to nurture talent. There's enough for everybody. And rather than being jealous of someone coming up behind you who's younger, fresher, brighter, has got way more energy, you have to think, this is good. It's like saying, you know, Mick Jagger would be jealous of Ed Sheeran. Not that I compare myself to Ed Sheeran or Mick Jagger, but you have to accept that talent is always coming up and sometimes it's better than you and you have to say, that's okay. That's how it should be. Instead of being jealous, you have to celebrate it. If you're trying to stay focused on getting work done and eating throughout the day is something you think about, have to decide, and you're not sure what to do, and you just wish an option was available where the right meal with all of the specifications you want be available to you, easy to make, under two minutes, well, luckily for you, Factor is available where you have over 35 different options a week to choose from, including options like keto, calorie smart, vegan, and veggie. And you can enjoy over 55 nutrition-packed add-ons to help you make your weekly meal planning even more delicious. So what are you waiting for? You can get started today and have a feel-good week of meals ready to go. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking up for something fast that's upscale option done very easily. It's flexible on your schedule where you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing 6 to 18 meals per week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. No prep necessary. They're 100% ready to heat and eat. So there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup necessary. Head to factormeals.com slash sellingwithlove50 and use code sellingwithlove50 to get 50% off. That's code sellingwithlove50 at factormeals.com slash sellingwithlove50 and you'll get 50% off. Not bad. Once you really started working on this new wave of talents, I'd be curious on how you actually started measuring as a company the success of your therapist 
did you like start having these kind of celebrations? Because I remember when I, I was working at Mind Valley, you know, we would celebrate a lot of the success we'd have for our authors or we'd celebrate the success for the students. But when it comes to having independent trainers that are going out, I think it was Zumba that was a big consultant of us and they were actually very adamant on celebrating their instructors that would take the methods and go out there on themselves. So I'd be curious about how much of your business you're celebrating your therapist or the individual students. Yeah, in fact, Jeffrey from Zumba has said to me, you know, our job is not teaching people to teach dance. Our job is making people successful. So we realized very early on that you can have the most amazing training technique in the world. If someone doesn't know who you are, where you are, and what you can do, then that's a great shame. And therapists are often not good marketers because they're therapists. They've got that real heart for caring. They care about people. They want to make a difference. They're such good people. But of course, they don't understand marketing. It's like, who am I to talk about myself? Who am I to promote myself? Don't I seem arrogant or big-headed? And so it's it's a little bit alien to many therapists to market because they're in the caring profession. And so we realized that we had to actually add a huge swathe of marketing to our training. Luckily, my husband is an amazing marketer. And so we started to employ amazing marketers and we started to teach marketing. How do you find clients? How do you get on the radio? How do you get in the press? How do you get in your local paper? How do you get repeat clients? How do you get referrals? How do you create an emotive story? Every successful business in the world can tell an emotive story. And of course, what do people buy? People buy things that make them feel good and that lowers their pain point, which is what we're selling. We're selling freedom and empowerment. We're lessening your pain, but we're making you feel good about yourself. So that's a great thing to sell, but people say, oh, I don't feel comfortable. So we created a marketing course side by side. And it used to be you can buy the course and you could add the marketing. Now it's all included. And we have some incredible, amazing, phenomenal marketers that teach you it's okay to market your business. It's a good thing. And so putting the two together, remembering what Jeffrey said and thinking he's right. My job is not to make you a therapist. My job is to make you a very successful therapist who's got a thriving business. But of course, as a therapist, you're running a business and people say, oh, I'm so busy seeing clients. I don't really have time to do marketing or accounts, but you have to do that too. I mean, I was very ambitious when I was a therapist. I wanted to be the best and I wanted to be the best therapist, the most recognized, renowned, respected therapist. I was very clear, but in being very clear, I also knew what that involved, which is this was in the 80s, and I knew that if I rang a magazine or a paper, everybody would say, hey, would you like to write about me? They'd go, no. Some of them went, oh, yes, tell me more. In fact, one of the first magazines I wrote was Men's Health, and Men's Health had just done a piece on firewalking. And I thought, you know what, I can call them. And I said, hey, you know, I'm a therapist. I work with a lot of athletes, and this piece on firewalking is really a piece on hypnosis. Would you like to write a piece on hypnosis for athletes? I went, oh, we'd love to. I went, they actually gave me my own column. Because I took a leap of faith and also I understood because I have so many successful clients that they leave clues. People who succeed do the thing they actively hate and dislike to get to where they want to go. They make that very difficult call and they tend to make it first. And it wasn't easy to pick up the phone and say, would you like to write about me? They go, no. But someone went, yeah, tell me more. 
And I did that every day. With 18 months, I had so many articles, so much press, so many book deals. I had to have to stop doing it. But you have to teach people that. What do people who are successful do? They do what they really do not want to do to reach their goal. They do it first. They tend to take action every day on the way to success. In the beginning, when they've made it, they don't have to do that. They're very good at bouncing back from rejection. Of course, I've had book deals rejected. Shows I was on, I've been replaced by someone else. Of course, you know, things have happened, but you have to be a big rubber ball and bounce back and have that. I'll show you. You also have to see a delay as not, don't hear no. You hear no at the moment, no in this current state, no. I mean, my books got rejected a lot, but I'd always hear no for this publishing house or no in the way it is right now or no at the moment. So if you can reframe no, and then what else does success do? They delay gratification. They're really good at delaying gratification. And the other thing they do, which is so important, is they build their own praise muscle. They develop the art of praising themselves. Because in a world where you work for yourself, I work for myself, we don't have a boss going, well done, you know, today, what I noticed you did, and I thought that was so amazing. And if you did this, we don't have anyone building our praise muscle. And you know, if you don't build a muscle, it withers away. One of the most important things to do if you work for yourself is praise yourself a lot. Tell yourself, you go, but tell other people too, hey, I'm the best, you know, I'm the best in my field or I'm one of the most successful. You know, if I took my kid to a private school or a private doctor, I say, are you any good? They go, good. You're paying for the best. We are the best school. This is the best hospital. You know, I got run over last year in London and I was taken by ambulance, a very nice hospital. And they said, have you got insurance? I said, yes, they went, good. This is the worst fracture we've ever seen. You need someone who only works below the knee. This guy said, I don't want to touch your leg. And so I rang around and I found this guy and he said, I am the best. And he'd operate on my foot. And I was so pleased. I didn't go, oh, he's a bit big headed. I don't want to go to him. He's the best. That's where I'm going. I got transferred to his hospital. I had to go where he was. He didn't come to me. I said, well, he's at this hospital. I had to get an ambulance and go there. And he certainly was the best. He was amazing. But, you know, we like the best. The best, if you're ill or you're putting your kid through school or you've got an investigation by the IRS, you want the best accountant, the best doctor, the best teacher. It's very reassuring. So why can't we say, I'm glad you came to me because I'm the best. I'm glad you sought me out because I am super qualified to help you. So this art of saying, I'm really good. After all, we're all given a skill. The universe gives everyone something. And our job is to find out what we're good at, really develop it or amazing at it, and then learn to market it. That's your job. You know, Ed Sheeran wasn't supposed to be a plumber. Adele wasn't supposed to be a nail technician. You get a gift, learn the art of being even better at your gift, and then learn the art of marketing your gift, and also learn the art of saying to people, I am really good. You know, there's a great story I love about Celine Dion, who I think at 14, I sent an audio cassette. I believe it was to Sony, but it could have been a different company. And she didn't hear back. And so she called them and said, hey, have you played my music? We didn't like it. And she said, you haven't played it. If you had played my music, you could never say those words. We don't like it. And there was something in her voice that they found so shocking, a sense of unshakable certainty that, 
you haven't played it. They said, send it again. And she did, and she got signed. But you see, she could say, you haven't played it. And some people have that. They can say, you know, someone said to Meryl Streep, Meryl, you'll never make it in this town because you're not beautiful. And she said, that's your opinion. But I can get another opinion because I'm not acting because I'm beautiful. I'm acting because I have the art of being an actress. And actually, when she was in Out of Africa, she looked very beautiful. And Robert Redwood washing her hair in the bath. She looked stunning. But when she played Margaret Thatcher and the girl whose baby was killed by a dingo, it didn't require beauty. It required a talent. So the ability to say, I won't let that in. We all hear people say, you're rubbish. I don't like you. When you write a book, I've written seven best-selling books. Some people say, I hate this book. I also hate the writer. Who does she think she is? But you have to say, am I going to let that in? I find what helps is thinking, who wakes up and says, my life is so great, I'm going to go online and savage that Marissa Peer. I'm going to go online <laughs> and diminish that Jason. You know, people are happy by nature, very benevolent. And critical people have the most criticism reserved for themselves, and they reflect that out. Nobody wakes up and says, my life's amazing. Let me diminish someone. I know that because we work with a lot of bullies in schools, and we work with the bullies who are very unhappy. It's like a seesaw. Here's me and here's you, and I know that you're equal to me, and you know that I'm equal to you. But if you thought I wasn't, you weren't, a bully believes that this is going on, that you're there and they're there. And they only have two choices, diminish you or elevate themselves until that happens. But you see, no one can diminish you unless you choose to let it in. And so a big part of my journey was getting criticism. And is this constructive? Sometimes it was. And if it wasn't, well, I don't have to let it in. I have agency over what I let in. And I've had a lot of amazing press and some not. I've had a lot of incredible feedback and a little not. My books, very lucky they have mostly incredible reviews, but a few not. But it's okay. In fact, somebody said to me once, you have no negative reviews for your book. This is a cult. It's a scam. I can't find any criticism. I thought, I'm so glad I've got one now. I was actually relieved when someone said, I hate this book. It's like, oh, finally, nobody can say it's a cult. Where's the criticism? Because, of course, as I got bigger, I got more and more. I just got to deal with it, you know. Someone said to Michael Jackson once, what do you do with your reviews? He said, I weigh them. I thought that was such a great answer. I don't read the bad ones. I just weigh them. Marissa, that's so good. And, you know, I've witnessed what happens when someone shows up with confidence, shows up as wanting to be the best. It's almost like a mirror to others. And it's being like, oh, my God, if they show up like that, it's like, it almost makes me feel vulnerable and insecure if I haven't been showing up at that level. So it's almost like I need to attack because I'm feeling like this is not something I'm comfortable. I know myself that I'm not have showed up at that level. And I've seen the more secure and confident you are being the best, that there's always going to be a tribe of people that have to go and attack. And I think the way that you've handled that is actually quite powerful. And your journey and your success has kept going. And I know you're still in the middle of your journey. And this is one thing I wanted to ask. You've been in therapy for 30 years. You've transformed a lot of lives. You made a big impact. And you could have been like, hey, this is great. This is it. But you're like, no, I want to go further. And I'm sure it's not all sunshines and rainbows. I'm sure there's challenges. There's new things you're learning, things you didn't expect. And you keep pushing, you keep pushing. So what does it take for someone like you to just be continuing to push? And is there a level that you're like, okay, this is enough? No, I don't 
think so, because, you know, everybody wants to make an impact. You know, we all want to change the world, but that's a big ask. But you know how to change the world? You change people. One heart, one soul at a time is exactly how you change the world. And there's a lot of people that need help. You know, it isn't like, okay, I've created a method, I'm done, because we're up against a lot. You know, media magazines are making women and boys do ill all over the world. We're now, I was talking yesterday with someone who was saying that, you know, we're strapping kids in pushchairs and they're playing on iPads and they're not developing. You know, the brain has got this use it or lose it. It's brutal. And a lot of what's happening is that we don't understand children need to run and climb and put stuff in their mouth and learn. You know, I was working with some children who adopted from Romania who are tied into their cribs for three years. And the brain doesn't develop certain pathways that it really needs. And so... There's so much more research coming out about disconnection. I've always found in my, it's only my opinion, but I haven't found many clients who are depressed because the brain lacks something. I found people who are depressed because they're disconnected. They fail to follow their heart's desire and this. They use harsh, hurtful, critical words to describe themselves almost on a daily basis. And that will get you depressed far more than this chemical imbalance, which no one has ever been able to prove because you can't look in the brain and go, oh, look, there's a chemical imbalance. And anyway, that was not invented by a doctor. That was invented by a drug company. So it's not like you can say, I've done a great job and it's finished. You know, one of the reasons I moved to Dubai is because we were invited to put RTT into the entire school system, which was a huge thing. My passion has always been children, education. I think every therapist should have a mission. Let me put myself out of business by getting the next generation. And so I've always thought, I want to put myself out of business by getting to school children. So it was a great thing to be told, hey, could you put your method into schools? We started with elementary schools. We put it into 3,000 schools. It won a lot of awards. We did so much stuff, you know, because the job of a school is to raise the self-esteem of the pupils. But people don't understand that. They're so busy going to learn Latin got to learn French, got to learn math. The job of a parent is also to raise kids with healthy self-esteem. It doesn't matter how much organic broccoli you're giving your kid or mandarin. If they don't have self-esteem that's high, you haven't done your job. And schools and parents, no one teaches them this stuff. So we thought, let's come in right at the bottom and raise children's self-esteem. Because if they have high self-esteem, they perform better academically. They neither become bullied or become the bully. They don't get depressed. And so it's not like I can say I'm done because we're getting more and more offers of work in America, in Europe, in the Middle East. Can you put this program into schools? Can you create a program for bullies? Can you create a program for children's emotional well-being? And our answer is yes, 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 we want to do all of that. But I think when you love what you do and do what you love, I mean, I don't even know what retiring is. I have no interest in retiring. I consider myself very lucky because I love what I do and I do what I love. And when you do that, nothing ever really feels like work. I mean, I do work hard. I also think I've never really worked a day in my life because I love it so much. But I think if you have something that makes people feel better, then you also have an obligation to give that to as many people as you can and we're so thrilled that we've actually got a hospital now researching how RTT can stop mothers giving birth prematurely. Because once you have a premature baby from a stressed and anxious mother, that goes on. It affects them when they're five, when they're 10, when they're 30. They often don't 
advance as well. They have all kinds of issues with depression because they pick up that anxiety. So I don't think our work will ever be done. But that's a good thing. But I'm very thrilled that I've got 17,000 people who I can say, could you take on this one? Could you do that? Would you like this particular project? You know, you need a whole community. One of the reasons I took on teaching my method with my husband, John, who's immensely skilled, is that I couldn't really handle the work. Occasionally I think, oh, my God, there's so much. There's books to write and places to go and people to teach. But they always say when hope dies, old age runs to meet you. So I don't think John and I will be retiring anytime soon. Well, I'm so glad you guys are operating as a unit and making all these things that you're doing. It's so exciting to hear about your school project as well. I have a feeling I'll be popping by Dubai at some point, getting a chance to interact, and of course, going to do a podcast with you, listening to these stories, listening about your journey. It definitely is not work. It's really fun, and I'm so glad to hear where you're at and what's going on. Marissa, it's been such a joy to have you on the show. There's a question I always ask. I think you've answered this before, so I'm sure you're going to have a similar iteration as last time, which is you are on the Selling with Love podcast. So what does selling with love mean to you? You know, we've all got to learn to sell. First of all, you've got to learn to sell yourself. If you can't sell yourself, how can anyone believe in you? You can't say, how could you not want to date me? I'm amazing. How could you not want to employ me? I'm so gifted. How could you not want to read my book? It's amazing. You know, for someone else to believe in you, you have to believe in you. Many of us, we outsource it. Someone out there or over there is going to turn up and believe in me. And I'm going to sell myself to them. The answer is actually someone in here has to believe in you first. And you've got to sell yourself. You've got to wake up and say, I'm a good person. I'm doing good in the world. I've got a good heart. And I've got a good mission. And I know I'm on track. And of course, I'm going to meet some detractors. Not many. You actually, people are by nature much more kind than they're hurtful. But that's one of the rules of the mind. What you look for, you find. I find people on the whole are kind, nurturing, and supportive. Some not, but they're not happy. So selling with love would be if you want to sell yourself, start with loving yourself. Start saying, I matter, I'm enough, I'm significant, I'm lovable just the way I am, and I've got something amazing to offer the world. If you said that every day, I matter, I'm lovable, I'm enough, I'm significant, I've got something you need to offer the world. If you said it and said it and said it, It will sink in just like lotion sinks into dry skin and it will impact you. But when you believe it, the wonderful thing is the whole world begins to join you at that level. When you think I'm not enough, when you think I'm faking this, when you think I am a good person offering the world something good and it's true, then the world will start to join you at that level. So do not give someone else the power to sell you to sell your skill, to sell your talent, to tell you who you are. Don't give a person the power to say you're worth it or not. Do it yourself. Do not outsource that. The most important words you will ever hear are the words you say to you. When you know your product is amazing, if you know that you're amazing and your product is amazing, of course you can sell it with love. It's like a three-step process. To manifest is always three things. First of all, sit and say, I'm worth it. I deserve it. And then see what it is you want to sell. Is it a book? Is it an idea? Is it you? And then go out and do the work. But you see, you can't do step three if you haven't done step one, which is to spend a while saying, I deserve this. I'm worth it. And we know that 
1700 lottery winners, totally bankrupt. They get rid of everything. You can get rid of love and wealth if you don't think you're worth it. But no one else can put that in you. You can't outsource it. You have to do it. So selling with love is love yourself enough to recognize that here you are on the planet with something amazing to offer and you're unique. And then go out and do it because on the whole, people will support you and believe in you. If you believe in you, don't worry about the few that don't. Focus on the many that do. It's a brilliant answer to this question. Marissa, thank you for all the words, all the stories, everything you shared on the show. It was so much fun to listen in and there's so much insights that we got to extract. Your journey has been wonderful. I know you're just beginning, so we can't wait to see what comes from Marissa, RTT, and so much more. Thank you for all the work you do. Thank you too. Thank you so much. I am your host, Jason Mark Campbell, and this is the Selling with Love podcast.